Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and technology, disruption, analytics, media. What else do we talk about, Tom? Concussions. Concussions. Well, we won't talk about concussions here. Right, gambling. We've talked about gambling. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along with my sitting-in co-host, Tom Cerny, here at Radio Row. Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Joe. So we are in the presence of officially uh, officiating royalty. <laughs> but how about even better? How about Italian officiating royalty? So, not me. What are you? Not me. See, I I usually it doesn't don't, matter. I we'll usually don't tell people that I'm yeah. Portuguese and really? not Italian. You know, but you know, once I became, people thought I was Italian, and Steratore came on board in his job, and then he was the number one Italian. Now I'm the number one Portuguese. So. So everyone around the Mediterranean is listening to this exactly. right Exactly. So, we so, drank from the yeah. same water. Right, that's, exactly. that's all that matters. So, so Mike Pereira, Gene Steratore, thanks for joining us. Thanks. So I want, I want to talk about one thing kind of on the role, the crazy roles that you guys have kind of morphed into as mavens of media now, sitting here on Radio Row as opposed to being longtime officials. Did you ever think that things like this could actually happen when you were coming up through the ranks as officials? Like there would be that much interest in this business? You know, obviously it never, never struck me. I mean, and when we start out, when you start out, you're just like you're starting out on a Pop Warner level. So you don't think about even probably not even getting to the NFL level. But the one thing that Gene and I have in common is we come from officiating families. Both of our fathers were officials. His father reached levels higher than my dad did, but my dad was an official, and so we grew up in that environment. So I think we saw us in that environment, um, but I, I can't speak for Gene, but I never never really thought about the media side of it. Never thought about the television side of it. And quite frankly, I didn't like it. I didn't like the television side of it because they're so quick to criticize, you know, what we do. So, um, and, and, I, and this is, I've never been on with Gene at the same time, but I, I at least, my view of the media was I resented their criticism when they'd never done it themselves and didn't know what they were talking about. And so I, I, I had a built-in resentment toward the media until I got involved. And then it, you ventured to the dark side of the media. Starts, absorbed, when they start until paying they me. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I will say this, though, on that note. You know, when Mike became the supervisor of officials of the NFL, at that time, too, as you go through history, um, officiating became more into the fore, right? It was more exposed. Television was moving quicker. There was more HD. There was more accountability that was being asked from the public to officiating in this sport, you know, at that point. And in all honesty, the NFL Network evolved at that time. And again, with Mike being in that position, I think he understood and he was, and I mean this not just because he's sitting next to me and because he hired me in right. the NFL and all those it's other things. It's amazing how that keeps coming why up. Why I should be so endeared to him for the rest of my life, which, you know, I'll leave that to the rest of my family. But um, he, I think he, he was wise enough and, and forward-thinking enough to realize, listen, there's a network here. There are three or four plays a week that are gaining so much traction and attention, and they should be not just told and defended, which is not what I believe he was doing, but I, I do believe that there was an education level from that platform of a supervisor of officials that he started to do on a Wednesday night for 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I do think once that occurred, uh, 
gravity of that started to catch on, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, there's value in this. Uh, so I do believe, and I give him credit for that here personally, and, and anytime I talk about it, he was the person that brought officiating from behind that curtain to say, listen, there is some transparency that I, we think is good for the game, not full transparency. Uh, and, and, and the best way to approach this is in an educational objective and honest fashion. That's what this position is becoming now. Mm -hmm. And that's your give back to the game from this position as well, right? I mean, look, we're the greatest players in the world. Coached by the greatest coaches in the world. And guess what? They're officiated by the best officials in the yeah. world, and we need to expose that when the time comes. And mm -hmm. I think he's, he's done a great job at that. He did a great job at that as a supervisor. And now... He's put a footprint here for all of us to to be in respective uh, you know networks to do the same thing. You know, and I think I found too that when I went into the league office in 1998 and began at that point to start to deal with the media and the announcers, especially the announcers, I found that those same people that I resented wanted to be right, but they weren't prepared to be right. I mean, the rule book is a complex document. And to think that a former quarterback or a former tight end or just a play-by-play -play guy can know and understand the rule book, it's, it was unrealistic. And, and, and the more I was around it, the more I knew they wanted to be right and felt bad when they were wrong. So it drove me to try to educate them more when I was in the office running the program in New York. If I could educate them more and then they would say the right thing, it would be better for the game. And I think that's really what built the relationship that got led Fox to hire me after I decided to retire because there was value in educating their own announcers. And, uh, and it's, that's been a lot, big part of my job. So we, we talk a lot in... Uh whether it's with students, our colleagues, on the podcast, other, other opportunities we have. We've had obviously the growing issues or opportunities with either analytics or really custom broadcasts. Um, as officials who've grown up and have adapted now, how important is reading, being able to read the room and, and dealing with emotions versus everybody saying, we should just have you know, robots doing things? You know, you're playing a game that is not played by robots. It's played by someone who has a heart. How do you, when you're on the field, tell us, take us through a little bit of like how you're able to kind of balance that out and reading the room. That, what you've hit on now personally to me, is the art of officiating. Right. It's not the application of a, of a literal rule, right? Um, the rule book is written in a way that uh, a good portion of that rule book needs to be officiated in its literal sense. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's another significant percentage of that book where the rule needs to be applied in a certain way. Uh, couple that portion of understanding, which doesn't happen overnight. You can't just learn it by reading. Uh, and then when you put that into the environment of the emotion, the intensity, uh, and all of the other elements that a game, regardless of the sport, brings to the, to the forefront, that's what officiating does do. And it's that understanding of that emotion. It's, it's tethering that, those players and coaches at times uh, to get them to the next snap so that you can continue to apply and manage the game. Managing the game and people will, should never leave any sport. I get nervous about the box in Major League Baseball, right? There's an art to painting the black part of the plate. 
and a good pitcher should get that black part. And a good hitter wants the pitcher to have that black part of the plate. But if we, we narrow that down, it's outside of the frame. It's a ball. You've, you've taken away the art of what makes a great breaking ball pitcher who he is and a great hitter understanding what today is going to bring. Uh, so, you know, we do worry as technology grows and everybody wants the black and white. Yep. Show me what the answer is. That's not the way the game's played. It's not the way that we should want the game officially. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing, obviously, sports management program, we're in education, so educating your future referees to the NFL. So can you talk to us a little bit about kind of the steps a potential referee would need to take? Like you, you mentioned earlier about being starting at Pop Warner and working your way up. And, and also, guys, touch on, you know, NASO and what you're trying to do because there's obviously an issue with trying to get people involved in officiating. Yeah, listen, there is a big problem. And the big problem is there's not enough officials anymore in the country, and especially in the amateur level. I mean, it is factual that for 10 years in a row, the average age of an amateur official has risen up to now 54 years old. It's a good same, number, though. Same 10 years. Well, that's yeah. young for yeah. me. Yeah. Not bad for you. But the, then at the same time, though, the number of people applying to officiate in the last 10 years has declined. And so, therefore, quite frankly, all around the country, You've got shortage of officials, high school football games being played sometimes Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, you can't have them all. There's not enough officials to have them on one day, even on Saturday. So we have to address this issue or it's going to really hurt youth sports. And we have to address the issues. 80%, um, almost 80% now of officials that sign up for their to officiate quit after one or two years. And why? We look at why, and they address the biggest issue is sportsmanship. And who's the biggest group with the worst sportsmanship? The parents. Exactly. So you take a young person and you put them on a court or a field or a pitch, and they know the least because they're just starting, and then they get the most amount of abuse from the parents. And so we've got to address the sportsmanship issue, and we've got to teach young people how to get through that abuse, how to handle that abuse. We did it. I mean, the abuse has gone on for a long time. And, you know, I fell in love with it in my first Pop Warner game. And part of the reason I fell in love with it, I was getting yelled at. And I thought it was such a great challenge <laughs> to try to overcome being yelled at. So we, 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 have, we, have, we have to teach that aspect of how to handle confrontations and stuff like that. Which happens in life and everything that they're right. going to do anyway. Yes, so, absolutely. Yes. And it's, you know, you could... You could look at people like Gene and myself and say, you know, there's there's a good, especially if you're a young person, there's a good opportunity to make some money out there, yes. too. I will be absolutely, totally honest with you. I got into officiating in 1971 for the money. Not because I love the game. It keeps coming and up not, as to how he makes decisions. Yeah, <laughs> not, that's right. Certainly. Not because my dad did it. Yeah. But I needed money. Yeah. I needed cash. $10 a game I got in 1971 doing three Pop Warner games on Sundays. Made 30 bucks cash. I was, I had my drinking money for the week. But, you know, we have to address that. And NASO anybody listen to this, especially young people on campus, we'd love to have you yep. start officiating. Yeah, I know you got homework and all that stuff, but to get out, to be active, to work with kids, to work within the community and make some extra bucks, you can go on naso.org and they'll tell you how to get involved. They'll set you up. You can go to 
sayyestoofficiating.com, and they will tell you the same thing, get you involved, and you never know, you may turn out be a gene stereotype. You probably won't be that good looking, but but you but you but you you still. I mean, you could be like the guy. It's amazing how complimentary he is of my looks when we're on the radio. Right. And you he's know got, what right, I mean? Right. But he's also got his glasses on. Too, I have a face for radio. I do have a face for radio. Somebody, I said to somebody earlier, I said, you know, Sterator is here, and Adam, I need to talk to you at some point. But they said, Gene, they said, I said, Gene Sterator is here. Oh, he is. Where is he? I said, well, he's not the brightest guy in the world. He's here at Radio Row, and he's putting makeup on. That's <laughs> right. yeah. um, so, so two quick questions before we let you guys go. Uh, one is how much of a hindrance or an opportunity with officials on the field in any sport is the speed of the game and the, and the level of the athletes. Do you need more officials or do you, do you just change the way the game is officiated? And then the second question with regard to recruiting is women and minorities and what are the, what's the opportunity for women and minorities uh, in officiating? You take speed. Yep. The speed of the game, the, the adjustment to that. Listen, um, most people, whether they've even participated in sports or not, right? Um, once you're down there, uh, starting at the low levels of the Pop Warners, the junior high school levels, junior varsity levels, the speed is not overwhelming immediately. The apprehension of not knowing what, look, we're great officials, just like we're great coaches from our couch. The moment that you put that whistle around your neck, though, and you actually see someone get pushed, then all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, it's not like yelling foul from my couch. I literally have to interject myself in the game, right? So that's the hurdle. That's the first hurdle on the field. In life, those are the hurdles yep. that we all face, right? So well, the way I always looked at it, and I think maybe it was from the millions of hours alone in a car driving to and from Columbia or, you know, to other schools on the way home, it was that thought, like, what is this doing for me as a human being? Mm-hmm. Um, am I gaining some things as a person out of this? That's what the young young people involved, not ex-athletes, not ex-players. Now, naturally, they, they should be akin to that. They should want to be around it. I was for that reason, too. But just as in general as a person, when you can challenge yourself in an unexpected, non-scripted way, become a very small part of something during the course of it, and, and and represent the things that are the virtues that you should be representing as an individual in your life and apply it to a sporting game, and they actually pay you to do that. Yeah. The rewards are tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, internal the rewards. They're, they're so, unbelievable yeah. relationships, and they do intertwine with the things that you should be valuing in your personal life mm-hmm. and with the challenges that you should... Look, when you officiate games, you have no choice but to face the pressure. So the only choice you do have is, is that pressure going to smother me, or am I going to embrace the pressure that's about to come, not knowing what that pressure is going to be? That's life, right? For sure. Okay, well, look, when you can apply that, and then throw a little bit of an exterior force, like people screaming at you that don't know what they're doing, being unfair and unjust to you, those things ring pretty familiar in your regular life as well as you move through the annals of your years. In right? your house. So. In your home. <laughs> That's another thing that I always love. Listen, 
by the time I would get home and like not put the seat down on the toilet and get yelled at for it, I'd look over my shoulder and go, "Shit, is that all you got to bring to me today? Do you know I was just screamed at by 180,000 people, and I'm only getting it from one? Oh, the only person that really has benefited from all this is my therapist. Because the days that the therapist gets with me ancillary income. Yeah. So hey, and we're paying it forward, right? So I mean, the more that I get screamed at, the more I pay the therapist. So everybody wanted the end. See, this the thing that made me shiver there is when you, said, you, you know you get people that are screaming at you that don't know what they're talking about and then it just i thought you were talking about me when i was your boss <laughs> that that happened a couple times i didn't know we were going to get that personal this is only the second or third interview we've done together but by four o'clock today though we'll come back we'll have a much deeper the second session. the second part of your question um diversity has always been an important issue in officiating and um and, and we've made, the officiating department and the league has made a concerted effort to, to recruit more minorities and hire my, my, more minorities. And this year is, like, incredible. Um, we have, out of the seven officials on the field, five are African Americans. And, um, and that's, like, two more than there's ever been on the field at one time in the Super Bowl. And Sarah Thomas, the, the uh, female official, worked her second uh, playoff game this year, her second in the... Uh, Two years now, and she's on her way to a Super Bowl. I agree. Um, she's going to be in the Super Bowl uh, really quickly, and so there, the XFL, which is yep. starting up, has a female official on every crew. Um, so gains are being made there. The hard part is that the pool in the lower levels is short. I mean, there's not it's there's not a big stockpile of women, you know, in the uh, in the lower ranks, but. Uh, Definitely progress being made and opportunities, opportunities to advance on that. Great. Tom? No, that's great. Cool. I'm, I'm ready to sign up to be an official. Yeah. Let's go. Ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> so, uh, Mike Pereira, Gene Steratore, thanks for joining us again. It's NASO, correct? The National Association of Sports Officials? NASO. NASO. But they like that's it, okay. National Association. They hate the... They hate the NASO or NASO. They want the whole thing. They said they don't call NASA. They don't call it the National Aeronautical Space Agency. They call it NASA. And this is NASO. Yes. Close. So you get like guys who are looking to be astronauts will go one number, one letter off, and they'll end up as an astronaut. They'll be in the Super Bowl. Exactly if they right. buy a vowel, they have to buy that vowel at the yeah. end. But yeah, those, those websites are, are there, as you had mentioned, and please reach out to those. You know, yes. cool. Great. Once again, this has been the Columbia University Sports Podcast on Radio Row. I'm Joe Favorito for Tom Cerny. We'll see you down the road.